If you got your Bibles, open to Acts chapter 13 and then Acts chapter 15. Acts 13 and then Acts 15. As you're flipping that direction, we are starting a new series called New Season, all right? Uh, new Season. Now, here's the deal. If you study Scripture, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the story that begins in Acts chapter 15 uh, is the story of Paul's second missionary journey, but it all starts with the division between Paul and Barnabas. And uh, the whole deal that God is working together on two different continents we're going to study about today all starts with, again, this movement of the Holy Spirit that takes place in Acts 15, verse 36. And so flip that direction. Uh, We're going to start in Acts 13, verse 1, and then jump to Acts 15, verse 36. Study today starts with this question. Have you ever been part of something brand new before? Have you ever been part of something brand new before? Something that you you got to see from the very, very beginning. Uh, When I was in the second grade, got to experience this because one of the greatest days in a child's life, uh, they moved, Lubbock, Texas, where I, where I grew up, they moved in a Toys R Us when I was in the second grade. How many of you remember Toys R Us? Raise your hand. I'm telling you, we were there the day it opened in Lubbock, Texas. It was so cool. They had a huge mascot-sized Ninja Turtle uh, that was there that day passing out Ninja Turtle toys. Just thought it was the greatest experience ever. Streamers everywhere. They had the news media, Natalie, out there covering the opening of the Toys R Us. I mean, I'm telling you, it was just an absolutely great experience. How many of you remember the last time you went into a Toys R Us? Raise your hand. That's always a, that's a sadder experience, right, when they close down. I'm just, somebody needs to reopen Toys R Us. There you go. Hashtag. There you go. Anyway, all that to say, um, I love being a part of things that are new, and my name, even my parents named me, my name is Zachary, and my middle name is Mason, and so Zachary means God has remembered, uh, and then actually Mason means stone worker or builder, and then my last name, Randall's, uh, the old school actually means wolf shield, believe it or not. Okay, wolf shield. There it is. Rand Randall. You get it? Wolf shield. Uh, or vicious protector, okay, this idea, which is kind of interesting, that I would end up pastoring, that my last name means vicious protector, you know, kind of fits with pastoring, and then God has remembered the builder, uh, is, uh, is again my first, uh, my first two names, and so all that's to say, I love being a part of new things, I love getting to build things, and uh, whenever we got ready to plant the church, uh, the North American Mission Board has you do an assessment to kind of see where your skills are on that, and again, just to kind of what God's been doing in your life until that point, point. and one of the questions they asked was, have you ever started anything new before? And so I remember I'm filling out the assessment and I start with one thing and then two things and then there were like 10 different things. I'd started Bible studies over the years. We restarted the Fellowship of Christian Athletes at my middle school. I'd been a part of all sorts of different things that had started from the ground up. And just again, something that I absolutely love. And when it comes to the heart of Almighty God, God's goal is not for us to fulfill the Great Commission by being one big snowball rolling down the mountain. The key to discipleship is a whole bunch of snowballs rolling down a whole bunch of mountains. And again, the Lord begins to build steam, not by creating one big mothership, but again, by planting disciples and using them to fulfill his calling and his great commission. We find that in Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 1. We find that in the story of Paul and Barnabas. He's called Saul at this point, but Paul and Barnabas being sent off from Antioch. Here's what it says. It says, verse 1, In the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean who'd been brought up in the house of Herod the Tetrarch, and of course Saul or the Apostle Paul. While they were uh, worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, look at this, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, remember that's Paul, for the work to which I have called them. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them 
them off to the mission that they had been called to. Stop right there for just a minute. In the early church, there were two main churches that were really moving and shaking throughout the world. The first is in Jerusalem, pastored by Peter, and then later by James. And then you've got this church in Antioch, started by Paul and Barnabas. And I'm telling you, the Spirit is moving in a powerful way. And you have such a cool dynamic here uh, in the church in Jerusalem because you've got so many of the apostles. But man, Saul, who becomes Paul, who has this amazing testimony. Barnabas, who's the great encourager of the New Testament. I mean, that church is special. And then we find out in the first two verses, there's a who's who that's worshiping there. Former politicians, people from different continents. I mean, this is such a moving, shaking, diverse ministry that's taking place in the church in Antioch. And then all of a sudden, the Spirit stirs, and Paul and Barnabas are called to be set apart so that they can be a part of a new work of the Spirit. One of the struggles that we have is whenever we are in a place where we feel like God is moving, awesome things are happening, when the Spirit moves and all of a sudden people are called out from us, sometimes our wall can go up and we can be like, no, there is no way that God could move apart from what he's doing right here, right now in this moment. But the goal of the Holy Spirit and the Great Commission is to stir our hearts and to take us to the ends of the earth with the gospel message. If you've ever been a part of a church before that you just absolutely adored, that you just absolutely loved, and for some of you, I hope that it's Waterfront Church, but if you've ever been a part of a church that you absolutely loved, and then the Lord called someone to go away and to do something else, sometimes you can feel like, Lord, how is it I could hear you to stay, and how could you be calling them to go and to do something else? We're going to talk today through those emotions And for some of you, maybe you'll gain a little bit of peace and clarity in why the Lord has done that. And then for some of you, maybe it's the reason why God brought you here to Waterfront in the first place. Maybe you had to leave a place that you deeply loved and God called you to come out and to help us with this mission. Our church is only six and a half years old. If we make it to August, we'll make it to seven, all right? But our church is still so young. The pews are still filled with pews. The chairs are still filled with people who you, most of your discipleship has taken place other places. We realize that. We realize that God has given you as a tithe. He's given you as missionaries to help us here in this environment. And maybe today this message will help you understand why God called you here to Waterfront. And then for some of you, maybe God will stir you to a calling to missions that you would take the gospel to an unreached people group, to people that need to be discipled. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? It is not uncommon for God to cast vision for people in a thriving ministry to start a new work. Let me say that again. It is not uncommon for God to cast vision for people in a thriving ministry to start a new work. In Acts chapter 13, that work begins with Paul and Silas, or Paul and Barnabas being set aside by their church to go out to this mission. The whole church received the mission, but Paul and Barnabas, their goal is to go and to be the boots on the ground to get this thing started. I have firsthand experience with this idea of being set apart. Because it's Father's Day, I wanted to tell a story about my dad anyway, but this one fits well with this portion. Some of you may have heard it before, uh, but my dad 
dad did not want us to plant a church in the beginning. Uh, it's kind of funny because my dad had worked as an evangelist. He'd worked as a pastor in both areas for more than 20 years. In fact, he was 22 years a pastor, 22 years an evangelist. Uh, again, been all over. He'd done convention work. Uh, he'd done stuff with athletic teams. I mean, my dad had done just about everything. Worked with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes on staff. I mean, he had done a whole lot of ministry in a whole lot of different areas, but he'd never church planted before. And I remember I told him again about the vision that we had for Waterfront. And when we came here, my dad kept saying, find a church to revitalize. Don't try to start something new. And then here's what he used to say. This is totally wrong, but he used to say this. He would say, church planters are rebellious and lazy. That's what he'd say. And I said, what do you mean rebellious and lazy? He goes, all I've ever experienced are churches that have split because of an issue that's happened in the church. And he said, I'm telling you, church planters are lazy and rebellious. And so it was so funny to be called to that and hearing that from this person that I had such deep respect for. And so my wife and I, knowing that this is what we were supposed to do, we started to pray that God would soften his heart. It didn't have to have his approval to come and do this, but I really did deeply want his blessing to come into Plant Waterfront. And so we began to pray that. And my dad came back and he goes, I'll tell you what. He said, I think you just want to be a head pastor. He said, it's not about planting a church. He goes, I think you just want to be the guy in charge. That's what it's all really about, because at that point, I'd been a discipleship pastor and an associate pastor and a youth minister at different points. Uh, but again, I, he just goes, I think you just want to be in charge. And so he said, I got you a job interview. He said, they're going to offer you the job if you want it. It's a great church, great community. It was in Stephenville, Texas, of all places. He said, uh, we got a great, great experience there. The Lord's moving. He goes, just interview for the job. And I go, dad and he goes just do it he goes i just want you to know that there's some offers out there for you to be the head person if you want to and so i remember i said okay i'll talk to him i'm not going to do it but i'll talk to him and he goes and don't mention waterfront that's what he said don't mention waterfront so i'm like okay so we get on the phone talk to the committee don't mention waterfront and have a really really good discussion with the search committee and right after it's over the search committee prays and they call my dad and i I get to hear this discussion from him head of the search committee calls my dad and she says john we had a great experience with your son he goes oh that's wonderful y'all gonna offer him the job and she said we would but she said is he supposed to do something else and he goes, did he bring up that church plant waterfront did he bring up going to washington dc and then all of a sudden she goes no but john the holy spirit has told us he is set aside for other things my dad tells me that story. I've got him on speakerphone, and my wife is there next to me. And all of a sudden, my dad starts to cry. And he says, son, he said, two reasons I don't want you to go plant that church. He said, number one, you're taking those grandkids a long way away. He said, second, as he's crying, he says, I can teach you how to pastor a pre-existing church. He said, I can teach you how to go into full-time evangelism. He said, I can teach you how to work for FCA or do convention work. He cries and he says, I've never planted a church before. I don't know how to teach you how to do that. What a heart of a father, huh? I said to him, we're going to have to go. We're going to have to do this. And at that point, he did something that he hadn't done to that point. Because of all the years in evangelism, he had a pretty good Rolodex of ministers that he could partner with. He unabashedly opened up the whole Rolodex so that we could get our original foundation of church partners so that we could jump in and do ministry here in the city. Now listen, sometimes, even though we want to keep everybody with the mothership, we want to keep everybody with the main group, 
The goal of our God is to reach the ends of the earth with the gospel message. And you can't do that by staying, all of us, in one place. Now, just for the record, there's a difference between sending people out and running people off in church work, all right? Running people off is a bad thing. Sending people out to fulfill the Great Commission is a good thing. Is that a good word? Okay? Don't run people off. Send people out. If you're taking notes, again, uh, write down this, our big million-dollar question today. How do godly people who aren't in sin go in different directions? Let me say that again. How do godly people who aren't in sin go in different directions? There are going to be times when people who are living in sin, who make decisions that they're not going to live biblically, they're going to do things that don't fall in accordance with God's word, they're going to go their own way, and you're going to have to follow the Lord and go your own way. But what do you do when there is no bad guy? When the Holy Spirit speaks, and then you have to make a decision to do what he's called you to do. For some of you, if you are the type of person that has treated people like, if they are away from me and I am in God's will, then there must be something wrong with them. I'm okay, but they're not okay. Hopefully today, through the splitting of Paul and Barnabas, we can walk through how this works when two people are godly and God calls them to the same mission but in different locations. All right, How do godly people who aren't in sin go in different directions? Flip over a couple of pages now to Acts 15, verse 36, and we're going to start the study of Paul's second missionary journey right here uh, with the disagreement between between Paul and Barnabas. Now look with me, if you will, verse 36. The whole disagreement starts with a vision from God that comes out of Paul's mouth. Look at this. It says, sometime later. Underline and highlight, sometime later. There's a lot of stuff that's happened leading into this discussion. It says, Paul says to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord. Look at this. To see how they are doing. Stop right there for just a minute. When I was a young man and read this passage, I think... I think I focused on the anger of Paul and Barnabas that must have been present. And now, as one, if I make it to August, I get to turn 40 this August, all right, along with the church's seventh birthday. I get to turn 40 in August if I make it to that point. I read it a little bit different at 40 than I do when I was 30 or even when I was 20. The passion in both these men begins with a word from God through the Apostle Paul. We should go strengthen those that we've seen the Lord work in their life and we've seen Christ stir seeds of mission in their heart. He says, let's go back and let's strengthen some people that we've met in the past. And what we're about to find is Paul hears it from the Spirit as let's go strengthen all those churches in Europe that we planted. But Barnabas hears the same message and he hears, let's strengthen our brother John Mark who we brought on the initial missionary journey but he wasn't spiritually strong enough to make the leap to full mission Paul hears it macro, Barnabas hears it micro, but it's the same message of the Holy Spirit that falls on both of them, and they each get different direction. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? How do godly people go in different directions? Number one, the Spirit stirs. The Spirit stirs. A movement of the Holy Spirit, a word from God, starts the ball rolling in this direction. The Spirit stirs, and the division happens in response to the Spirit's leading. It's not something where one person is right and the other is wrong. Now, when sin is present, that's where there's a right and wrong. But when the Spirit moves... And both hear in their giftedness different things that they're called to do. It does not mean that if they go in different directions that one is right and one is wrong. 
you're taking notes, you can write this down if you want to. Sometimes the Holy Spirit leads people on different roads toward the same mission. Let me say that again. Sometimes the Holy Spirit leads people on different roads toward the same mission. Let me give you an example of that. We did a banquet when Waterfront first, when Waterfront Church was just on the horizon. We were about oh, maybe nine months before the church was getting started. And I remember we held a banquet at First Baptist Church in Grapevine, Texas, where I'd served as the youth minister for several years. And uh, we get there, and I, there was like 150 people at the banquet that night. It was amazing. People from all different walks of life that we'd interacted with. And that night, the Holy Spirit fell and stirred in a way that was so powerful. It's the first time I'd really presented the vision of Waterfront Church to a group larger than a living room uh, at that point. And so I remember I present the vision the spirit falls and you watch it the spirit began to stir through the room and we asked the people that night there are some of you that God is calling to pray for us some of you that God is calling to give to our ministry so that we can rent a space and get started and some of you that God is calling to go with us in this endeavor at the end I stood up at the front and you watched it after the spirit had stirred people began to make their way up to the front there were two ladies one lady named Billy Ebersol sweet kind woman who we'd worked with over the years. Billy comes up and she says, Zach, I don't have money. But she said, I will pray for you. Faithfully, I will pray for you. Every month, Billy has prayed for us. And that was almost eight years ago when we had that meeting. Becky Smith, the same way. She said, I don't have money, but I'll pray. And she has faithfully prayed every month. Her cousin, by the way, this is interesting, is Lauren Paget. Some of you know who Lauren Paget on our staff. The reason that Lauren and Riley were able to get connected to our church was because of Brad Morris and then also because of Becky Smith on that night that we spent together uh, at, the, uh, at, the, at the event. There was a lady named Janice Smart who came up. She said, I don't have much money. She said, but you can count on me for $20 a month or for, for, uh, for $200 a month as long as this thing goes. That's eight years. Do the math on that, kids. She's given almost $20,000 at $200 a month since the church started. So, so faithful. Some of you know Rod and Jennifer Johnson. Rod and Jennifer Johnson were there that night. And Rod and Jennifer Johnson said, we feel like God's calling us to go, that we're supposed to move to D.C. They said, our daughter will be a senior in high school, but we're going to pray with her about it. Abby, their daughter, ended up being our biggest cheerleader for them to move here to the city. And they served for five years with us until they moved during the pandemic a few months ago. The youth minister came up and he said, I think we're called to plan a trip. He said, we don't have money. He said, we'll pray, but he said, we'd also like to bring a trip, multiple mission trips. Their group brought up here and did marketing for us. And then so many people said, we'll tell our friends about what the Lord is doing. One message, one mission, plant the church in D.C. and we feel called to go. But the stirring in the individual, each of us have different giftings and God has given each of us a path that we are supposed to walk. We got to remember, it's not linear when the Spirit stirs for all of us. It's linear for you individually. There is something that you are supposed to do. But for the mission, God is doing all sorts of things to work towards that mission. It begs the question, is the Spirit of God saying something to you? Is the Spirit of God saying something to you? To you specifically, is there something that you are supposed to do that you are supposed to say yes to? Now flip over to Acts chapter 15, and let's look at verses 37 and 38. 
Here's what it says next. We find out again the division that's going to happen. Verse 37, the Spirit has spoken. Let's go back and encourage these churches. Let's go encourage people, brothers from our past, so that the mission can go forward. Verse 37, so Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Now stop right there for just a minute. Matthew Henry is the scholar that writes this, and I think this is so good. He writes, remember, their division is practical, not theological. If you want to write that down in the flap of your Bible, that's important. The division amongst godly brothers here is not over theology, it's over practicality. In the vision that's been given, let's go back and let's strengthen those who might be weak in their faith. All of a sudden, Barnabas immediately goes, ah, John Mark, the guy that we started the mission with. And by the way, a little scholarly work on this, scholars are in unison. Either John Mark is Barnabas's nephew or he's his cousin. There's debate over which one, but guess what we find out through the scholars? They was blood, all right? They was blood. And here's what that means. Barnabas immediately is drawn with his shepherd's heart to go, man, John Mark, my cousin, my nephew, my family, my blood, man, the spirit is strong with him. God still has plans for his life. Let's go back and strengthen and let's take John Mark with us, round two for him, and maybe he'll turn out to be a missionary after all. But Paul called with the macro vision to reach multiple churches with the gospel. He comes in with that administrative, macro, brilliant mind that God has given him and he goes "Eh, I just don't think he's ready for this it costs mission dollars for us to send him home in the middle of the last mission trip I don't know that we need to do that Barnabas let's let him do his thing Peter can take care of him in the church in Jerusalem let's go and let's focus on the horizon and you watch it the same vision from God the same spirit stirring but both with different giftedness Paul with the macro and Barnabas Barnabas might be the great discipler of the New Testament. You know what happens with John Mark? A little history for you. If John Mark is John the Evangelist, which most scholars are in agreement that he is, then this is the John Mark who will write the Gospel of Mark and, don't miss this, but according to tradition, John Mark is the one who founds the first Christian church in Africa. Here's what's crazy. With that vision, the Holy Spirit has said to Paul, take the gospel to Europe and strengthen those churches. And he said, and reach John Mark and take the gospel to the continent of Africa. One vision, two continents that freshly need the gospel. They both hear the same message. Both incredibly important but they hear it in two very different ways. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? How do godly people go in different directions? Number one, the spirit stirs. And number two, specific gifts are required at separate locations. Specific gifts are required at separate locations. Some are called to do the macro work. I truly believe the Apostle Paul was one of a kind in his giftedness in taking the gospel to the world through planting those churches. But look at this. Save your spot there in Acts 15. And now flip over to Matthew chapter 18. We also find that there are some that have a shepherd's heart. Here's what the Lord has to say. Here's what Jesus himself has to say. And we sang about it moments ago. Look at what it says, Matthew 18, verse 12 through 14. 
Jesus himself says, what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go look for the one that's wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he's happier about the one sheep than the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones be lost. Stop right there for just a minute. For some of you who are gifted with the macro because this city draws people like you, man, I'm telling you, stay strong, passionate about what God's called you to do. But also know this, there are some of you who are so gifted to go after the one. The picture is that the church requires both in order to be successful. A macro vision with a heart for the micro to go after the one. And from the mouth of Jesus himself, he says there is rejoicing in heaven over both over the macro mission that will be fulfilled in the last words of Revelation and the micro mission that changes the heart of each and every individual. Same word, two very different responses, but the mission is the same. Save your spot and flip over to Acts chapter 9, verse 26. Save your spot in Acts 15. In Acts chapter 9, it's just worth reading here. Going after the one. This is why I say Barnabas might be the great disciple of the New Testament, other than Jesus himself, obviously. In Acts chapter 9, we find that the same way he wants to stand up for John Mark is the same way he stood up for Paul when he was Saul the persecutor. Look at verse 26. It says, when Saul, or when the, this is Paul, or who will become Paul, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him, brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul ended up staying with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. What happens with that movement of the Holy Spirit is again, we have this moment where both men here, let's take this and strengthen the brothers. And you have Paul again going, let's take it to the masses. And you got Barnabas going, ah, oh, but if we disciple the one. If we put him on the right track, there's no telling what God could do with him. Both are right, and neither is wrong. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? If Mark is not strengthened, we might never benefit from his gospel. And if Paul doesn't go on his second missionary journey, many young churches would die. Let me say that again. If Mark is not strengthened, we might never benefit from his gospel. And if Paul doesn't go on his second missionary journey, many churches would die. It's very easy for us to say that the macro mission was not more important than the micro individual. But don't miss this. The micro individual was also not more important than the macro mission. They both were of equal importance and both of equal calling of the Holy Spirit. Both men had to walk what God had called them to walk. And the same is true for you today. It begs the question, are you supportive of the fact that God is moving in multiple places at once? Are you supportive of the fact that God is moving in multiple places at once? I'm just going to get real honest with you. When I was young in my faith, there was a time where I felt like wherever I was was the most godly place to be. Okay? For you personally, there is a point where you are in the center of God's will. 
But the goal for the people around you is that they also would be in the center of God's will. And God forbid if that place was ever apart from you. Listen, sometimes God's going to call you in different directions. And you got to be okay with that. Some of you raised adult children, and you know he's going to call people away from you sometimes. And it's not an indictment that they don't love you anymore. It's not an indictment that they don't like the work that God's doing in your life. But they've got to follow him the same way that you are accountable to follow him. Again, are you supportive of the fact that God is moving in multiple places at once? Don't be the person that has to have a villain. If sin's involved, sin is always the villain. When the Spirit of God is moving, you do what you've got to do. And be supportive that the Lord is doing something through somebody else as well. They would be with you if they could. And now let's look at the end. This is how they divide. Look at Acts chapter 15, verses 39 and 40. It says they had such a sharp disagreement, underline sharp disagreement, that they parted company. I think when I was younger, I read sharp disagreement and I read anger. Can I tell you that that's not what you have there? Have you ever had a sharp disagreement with somebody you deeply love? Okay, some of you are like, yes, this morning on the way to church. All right, there it is, right? (laughs) Sharp disagreement doesn't mean you hate somebody. Look at me. This passage is not two brothers hating each other. In fact, go back and read 1 John. You know what 1 John says? One of the signs that you're saved, this is for real, from the mouth of John the Apostle, One of the signs that you're saved is that you at least love the other children of God. Isn't that interesting? That you at least love the brothers. Best example I can give that uh, to you uh, happened uh, back a few years ago when University of Florida was tearing people up. Okay, this is uh, this is your this is your day. All right. Uh, So we're uh, we're uh, some of you Florida graduates will understand this. Back in the day when Florida was winning all those national championships, when you had Tim Tebow as your quarterback. Okay, I, I went to a Big 12 school, and so we cheered for the Big 12 teams. But University of Florida was a powerhouse to be reckoned with. And here was what I kept finding. As much as I despised the University of Florida and the winning streak that they were on, all you do is see those verses under Tim Tebow's eyes, and I couldn't help but cheer for Tim Tebow. It was so frustrating, right? Can I tell you what it means? It means I'm saved. That's what it means, right? First John chapter 5 says, this is how we know that we are children of God, that we at least love the brothers, that we are obedient to his commands, and we have a love in our heart for other Christian brothers as well. It's one of the reasons reasons why i could cheer against the gators but i couldn't cheer against tebow our brother all right now listen i'll tell you that just to say this just to say this when it comes to a division that's taking place there is a sharp disagreement it's not hatred for each other it's because barnabas goes i know in the fabric of my being that i'm supposed to go after john mark And Paul goes, I know in the very fabric of my being that I'm supposed to stay focused on this. And I'm supposed to, again, bring the best of the best with me so that, again, this is going to be so dark, so difficult, so brutal. But, man, we're going to see these churches live. Both men are right. No one is wrong. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. He was obedient. Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers in the grace of the Lord. He also was obedient. And then it says he went through Syria and Cilicia, uh, strengthening the churches. 
you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? How do godly people who aren't in sin go in different directions? Number one, the Spirit stirs. Number two, specific gifts are required at different locations. And number three, God's calling outweighs our fear of change. God's calling outweighs our fear of change. The last dark part of this passage is not actually the anger between one another, between these guys at one another, because I don't believe it's present. The struggle there is Paul has never known Christian ministry without Barnabas. They've been together since the very beginning. And so all of a sudden they sit there and they go, we're called in different directions. We're supposed to go and do different things, but I want to stay with you. Can't you just follow me in this endeavor? And I can hear it in Barnabas' voice. I know we're supposed to bring John Mark. Can't we just take him? And Paul looking back at him and going, no, we can't. I can't do that. We're supposed to disciple some new ones moving forward. I'm supposed to do this. And you watch it. At that point, the sin that each man has to fight is digging their heels in to stay together instead of doing the work that God has for them separately. And that's the struggle for so many churches. God will call you to a mission. He will call you to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And then all of a sudden you think, but my friends are here. But my work is so, I'm in such a good groove when it comes to the way that I'm working. I feel like I've got all these pieces of my life together. It feels like heaven when we gather and you watch it. The spirit will stir. The spirit will call and we dig our heels in and we don't want to go. And then guess what happens? You then try to change the culture of what is already moving and godly to force it to be whatever new vision it is God's given to you. And then you just end up sick and unhappy. It's just the way it goes. You got to listen to the Spirit and do what He's called you to do. Not dig your heels in and try to force it to be like it used to be. Can I tell you a secret? It will never be like it used to be. It can't. It's not possible. Autumn and I had a ministry that we were part of, and it was like heaven. We were kids, we were young. She was 21, I was 22. And I'm telling you, we got to be a part of something very, very special. There were so many ministers, so many missionaries, so many church planters that would come out of this mission work. That was the one where my dad was preaching on Thursday nights, 1,600 college kids on Thursday nights. And then on Sunday mornings, there were between 1,000 and 1,200 college students. And I'm telling you, it was just so special. And then our college minister moved, took a job as the head of collegiate ministries for the state of Oklahoma. Big job, macro move. Strengthen not just a church, but the churches, right? And I remember we were so sad. But if he hadn't done that, we never would have all gone out on our own mission. We never would have left the mothership. God's calling outweighs our fear of change. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Paul has never known ministry without Barnabas at this point, but his allegiance is to Christ and not Barnabas. Paul has never known ministry without Barnabas at this point, but his allegiance is to Christ and not Barnabas. Paul has to go. Barnabas has to go his way. And then they can still celebrate the work that God is doing through each other. When God calls us, that fear of change, I mean, it stirs within us so heavily But we have to trust that if the Lord is allowing that division to take place, that we have to make the leap. I got a story and we'll close with this. 
Uh, best example I can give you of taking a leap was a literal leap that a guy took. Uh, we took a group of students one time when I worked in student ministry to the Arbuckle Mountains in Oklahoma, uh, right by Lawton. And uh, some of you are like, mountains? Really? Yes. Uh, small mountains, but they were mountains. We go to the Arbuckle Mountains. We're doing a rappelling trip with the Oklahoma State FCA, a Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And I remember the big cliff was about 160 feet uh, with the big cliff that we were jumping off of. And so we had all these differences. Have you ever rappelled before? Rappelling is a lot of fun. It's where you kind of lean back and you hop down the mountain. But we also did what we called Aussie style. Aussie style is where you lean forward and you run down the face of the mountain. And so it's a lot of fun. just was an amazing experience. And so um, over the years, we did this multiple times. We only had one injury okay and it was an instructor it wasn't a student we got a group of high school kids that go with us uh, and we've got an instructor there was a young man named adam uh, adam's 16 years old wide receiver for the football team and i mean in really good shape adam is set up and he's about to go aussie style down the front of the cliff and then right next to him one of the instructors is there and uh, she starts to go down but a rock shifts underneath her and when it does we're wearing helmets but the rock shifts underneath her not very far down and she slams her head against the side of the the cliff face and she gets knocked unconscious well you have somebody down on belay and they pull the rope tight and when they do she stops but she's just laying there lifeless just right there on the line again it's it's on her what's on her waist but she's just laying there like this we have an emt right there at the top just a few feet away and then we got this young man his name's adam 16 years old wide receiver and he's right there at the edge he's already strapped in and for him to unstrap and get out it's going to take long than if he just goes straight down. But he's never done Aussie style before. He's never gone that way. He'd hop down the other way, but he'd never done Aussie style. And I'll never forget, we have an EMT with us who had the scariest eyes of just about any human I've ever met, all right? Other than my own father, all right, when he was angry. This guy looks at him. He looks at Adam, and he goes, if you're going to go, go now, and says it with that oomph to it. And in real time, Adam goes, yeah, and he jumps off the side. Looks like a flying squirrel coming down off the side of that cliff. And we were just like, what the? I mean, again, time was short. It was intense in this moment. It had to happen. The division had to take place. And you watch it again. Yeah, he jumps. It was so crazy. He comes down the mountain, gets down to about three and a half seconds. It was crazy. He yells, I'm off. I'm off. EMT hooks up. The girl comes to, and they're able to bring her down the mountainside, the cliffside. All we could talk about afterwards was Adam and the moment of urgency. It was incredible going, dude, you're 16 years old. You've never done that before. And you jumped. And he said, I had no choice. I had to. I had to. She was hurting. I had to. Now listen, when God's calling outweighs our fear of change, you come to a realization, if I don't do this, others are going to suffer. If I dig my heels in, I'm going to miss a blessing that God has for me, but I also am going to steal a blessing that God has for someone else. That's a powerful thing to remember. For some of you, God may be calling you away from the job that you're in. I don't want you going and quit tomorrow. But for some of you, God may be calling you away from a job that you're in. And here's the deal. What you are holding on to is what you think is your blessing is actually you not only missing out on the blessing God has for you in the future, but you are also stealing a blessing from somebody else. You could also take that this way. You ever taken a job you knew you weren't supposed to take? You ever jump into that scenario? Don't do that. Because again, the Lord's will for your life is still the same. 
you jump in and you try to do that, you not only are missing out on the blessing God has for you, but you are stealing someone else's blessing when they were supposed to receive that for themselves. It begs the final question. Are you ready? Is God calling you to follow him into a new season? Is God calling you to follow him into a new season? Paul's second missionary journey to strengthen churches and truly to be used by God to change the world for Christ. It begins with him being willing to leave his best friend and to go forth to trust God just a little bit more. Autumn and I have said this since the time that we started dating. Whenever we knew we loved each other, one of the things we've said for years is, I love you, but I love the Lord just a Or I love you more than anything in the world, but I love the Lord just a little bit more. That's the attitude of a disciple. That you love God more than anything in the whole world and for your spouse, for your best friend, you love them just a little bit less. The best way you can love them is to love the Lord just a little bit more. Thanks for listening today. Let's bow our heads for prayer.